Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey, friends. Thanks for joining our podcast. I want to tell you about something really new and exciting called Patreon.com slash BP Show. It's a great way to get uh, exclusive interviews with newsmakers, voicemails, personalized videos, political commentary, and early access to a special podcast called The Making of Bernie Sanders. Go to patreon.com slash bpshow, patreon.com slash bpshow. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash Show. He is morally unfit to be president of the United States, so says former FBI Director James Comey. Hello, everybody. Monday, April 16, here we are, the Bill Press Show. Hope you had a great weekend, uh, ready to go. We got a lot to talk about today. Man, it is uh, a Niagara of news Coming to you live from Washington, D.C., with all the news of the day from the White House, from the Congress, from around the country, Uh, and um, a lot of it, (laughs) a lot of it from ABC News last night, and it's one-hour interview, uh, the broadcast for one hour of uh, parts of a long, long five-hour interview that uh, anchor George Stephanopoulos did with James Comey, his first interview with anybody since he was fired by Donald Trump, and of course, all time to the release of his book, A Higher Loyalty. Uh, We haven't uh, seen Donald Trump's tweets yet this morning about that, but we saw a lot of them before the interview, and we're sure that we're going to see more today. Good to have you with us. We've got all of that to talk about, uh, plus uh, the latest with the Michael Cohen investigation up in New York, and it turns out that Michael Cohen was arranging hush money payments, uh, not just for Donald Trump, but for one leader of the Republican National Committee, who has since resigned. We'll bring you up to date on the news of the day. You tell us what you think about it all. Send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. Get ready. We jump in, but first, to Peter Ogburn. This is the Full Court Press. Probably helps if I hit the right button. Uh, happy Monday. Yeah, yeah just, hello Monday. Just a couple of other stories <laughs> making Weekend's news. over, Peter. Yeah, <laughs> clearly. Let's talk some sports because there was a big boxing match over the weekend. It was in California between American Rod Salka and Mexican Francisco Vargas. Now, here's the thing. Was the, it at the border? It was not at the border, oh. but... But they didn't go to the border. The border came to them. Rod Salka, the American, showed up with these boxing trunks that said America first and had the pattern of a brick wall. Very Trumpian. 
Now, the Mexican boxer probably didn't need a whole lot of uh, mm -hmm. uh, motivation to beat the crap out of this guy, and that's exactly what he did. I he hope he did. I hope tar. he did. He beat the tar out of the American Rod Salka so badly, in fact, that his corner threw in the towel to end the match. He was uh. he, he was beating him so badly uh, that his his team just said, no, no, we can't watch this go on anymore. He landed 112 punches oh my God. on his opponent for six straight rounds. Mm. Uh, and so that was enough for his corner to say, no more. We can't watch this go on any longer. They were afraid he was going to get hurt. So they ended it. Yeah. That's it. There was another boxing match between uh, James Comey and Donald Trump. <laughs> we'll get into those results yeah. here in just a moment. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, by the way, a little bit of shop talk. We say farewell to Art Bell. Art Bell died over the weekend. Oh, yeah. No, Remember really? Art Bell? Yeah. Overnight. Yeah. When, oh, when God. most of us were asleep, Art Bell was awake overnight. He had a very popular radio show dealing in conspiracy oh, theories yeah. and aliens. And, and black all, helicopters. And black helicopters. I mean, all kinds of weird stuff that a lot of people didn't talk about. Art Bell talked about in the middle of the night. That was one of the very first sort of talk radio shows that I like got into. So we say farewell to to Art Bell. It's a sad story. And Steve Wozniak might be known as the co-creator of Apple, but he is not a big fan of Facebook. He announced he is getting off of Facebook altogether. Why? Well, you guessed it. He said yeah. it's a privacy issue, and he said, quote, the profits are all based on the user's info. In other words, they can't figure out how to make any money without making it off of your back. Right. So he says that's just not how a good company should work. For him, it's a simple business decision, and uh, for that reason, he is out. Out. Huh. I wonder how many people are trying to get off of Facebook right, yeah. right now. It's a lot. This is the Bill Press Show. It is the lawmaker versus the lawbreaker. Yes, indeed. James Comey versus Donald Trump. Oh, man, we haven't seen a match like that for a long time, and they are going after each other. Uh, Comey coming out on top, if you ask me. Hello, everybody. On a Monday, Monday, April 16, it is the Bill Press Show. Hello, hello, hello. Great to see you today. And welcome to the program. Hope you had a great weekend, had a chance to relax, hang out with friends. Uh, and uh, I was off on the uh, West Coast with a great group of friends down in La Jolla, California, all from the San Diego area, um, with a big book celebration. And then up on Friday, and what great fun to join the Young Turks, Jenk uh, Uger and all the gang at their studio in Culver City and be part of the power panel on Friday from the Young Turks. Hope you, uh, some of you caught that as well. Good to be back with you here today in our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. Uh, with You know what? It's just about like this. There is, I wouldn't be surprised if all systems break down today, okay? Now, we're coming to you online. We're coming to you on the radio. We're coming to you on television. We always do. But if everything breaks down today, it's just because there's too damn much news. There's so too much, much going on. So much going on. Uh, you know, we only have two hours. It's hardly enough. And even then, as I say, it's uh, the, the, the workload, the, the payload for the news is um, bigger than we've ever seen it. But we'll get through it all with your help. 
online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show, on television on Free Speech TV. How about it? Looking good out there in TV land today and on the radio. Indiana Talks throughout the state of Indiana and uh, in the greater Chicago area. Hello, WCPT, all of you great friends and fans out there. Uh, it's good to see you today. Yes, indeed. I uh, hope you stayed up a little bit late last night to watch the big interview. This is the first interview James Comey uh, has given since he was fired by Donald Trump. It's all times with the release of his book, of course, which comes out tomorrow, but it's already been widely reported uh, because uh, uh, they uh, very judiciously uh, leaked some parts of it out to the New York Times and ABC leaked some of its interview. It was a five-hour interview with George Stephanopoulos. They played about an hour of it last night. There are some, look, there are some stunning, stunning pieces of it. But as we get into it, I want to say again what I've said before and we've talked about before. Let's not rush to canonize James Comey, right? He's no saint. He's no altar boy. Uh, he's no Boy Scout on a pedestal, right? James Comey's got his own set of problems. I still say James Comey gave through the election to Donald Trump with his, maybe not deliberately, but with his poor judgment on October 28, 2016, releasing that letter to the Congress that he was reopening the Hillary investigation 11 days, 10 days before the election, uh, and uh, Hillary Clinton, even though then, a week later he said, we didn't find anything, uh, Hillary Clinton never recovered from that. It's not the only reason she lost, but... If you follow this, she would have won, I believe, without that letter. And Comey says he released that letter because he thought she was going to win, and if he didn't release the letter, he would have been accused of helping her win or she would have been considered an illegitimate president. In other words, he, the FBI director, was playing politics with that letter. He was the, It was political motivation that prompted him to release that letter, number one. Number two... It's worth pointing out that he told the world about the fact that they were investigating Hillary Clinton. He did not say beans. He said nothing about the fact. At the same time, they were also investigating Donald Trump for possible collusion already back then with the Russians in trying to influence the outcome of the election. Why did he smear Hillary Clinton by releasing that news of that investigation and not see anything about the Donald Trump investigation. Yeah, that was a particular. He twist. can't answer that. that. That was a particular twist of the knife. Yeah, you know, as we were reading that stuff, and he sort of admitted that the only reason he did it is because he he thought yeah. she was going to win. Right, and that's like by definition, that is playing politics. Yeah, yeah, right. and I think covering up the Trump investigation, which, by the way, is the way the Justice Department usually operates. But he gave Trump the benefit of the doubt, if you will, and the and and the silence, but not not Hillary Clinton. So, just saying. And Comey, obviously, look, he wouldn't be where he is without a big ego. Having a big ego is not unusual in Washington D.C. And in fact, you have to have a big ego to succeed in this world. But so this is a man with a big ego too. So I just want to say, Donald Trump, a flawed spokesperson, perhaps, but compared to Donald Trump. When it comes to credibility, when it comes to truthiness, they're not on the same planet. I mean, no way. Uh, one one is credible, 
because you know what? If you read the excerpts from the Comey book, he puts facts up to back up his comments and his statements, unlike Donald Trump, who just blasts out anything that comes to his mind. Some of the stuff that Comey came up with, it is stunning. It's the first time he meets him. So Comey's background, right, was as a U.S. prosecutor, a federal attorney in New York, dealing with the mafia, right? It's the first time he meets Donald Trump. What's it remind him of? It reminds him of those days when when uh, he was when of what he heard from these members of the mafia about dealing with the mob boss. I felt this effort to make us all. And maybe this wasn't their intention, but it's the way it felt to me to make us all a Mykonostra. We're all part of the messaging. We're all part of the effort. The boss is at the head of the table, and we're going to figure out together how to do this. Yeah. And he says, you know, and the loyalty oath, you all have to take a loyalty oath, and it's all together, and anything goes to protect the boss. It really is the best analogy for how, how Trump operates. Everything we've heard yeah. about the way he ran his business, the way he ran his campaign, the way he ran the transition, and the way he runs the presidency. You know, Comey says that they'd go in for these meetings, and nobody talked but Trump. And he just talked, 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 talked about himself, kept talking about the size of the crowd at the inauguration, uh, talking about uh, how everybody loves him, uh, and on and on and on, and you know, and just shifting from topic to topic and just talking, and everybody just sort of sat around. That was it. You know, it was all about the boss, right, the mob boss. It's such a good analogy. Yeah, totally. So the first time that he meets Donald Trump, remember, get this. Is the president-elect. You're the FBI director. You go to Trump Tower, and you go to Trump Tower for the purpose of telling him, Mr. Trump, we've got this source that says that there's a tape that the Kremlin has of you and hookers in the hotel room where Barack Obama and Michelle Obama stayed. Yes. And you paid the hookers to come and pee on each other. I mean, imagine having that job. So uh, <clears throat> Comey describes. <laughs> Some days are better than others. Right. Comey describes Trump's reaction. I started to tell him about the allegation was that he had been involved with prostitutes in a hotel in Moscow in 2013 during a visit for the Miss Universe pageant and that the Russians had uh, filmed the episode, and he interrupted very defensively and started talking about it. You know, do I look like a guy who needs hookers? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. I love that that's his biggest concern. That's the thing he's worried about. Do I look like a guy that needs to pay for sex? (laughs) (laughs) If there's anybody. Uh, And so, as your Stephanopoulos says, so um, did this... Did this really happen? Honestly, never thought these words would come out of my mouth, but I don't know whether the, the current president of the United States was with prostitutes peeing on each other in Moscow in 2013. It's possible, but I don't know. God, just the fact that we're talking about this. I know. Is unfreaking believable. But, like, not that we're talking about it. The guy yeah. that was in charge yeah. of the FBI has to yes. talk about it. Yes, yes. And... And like, yep. not in a jokey way. Like, he has to treat it seriously. Right. So, if this tape exists, uh, by the way, and I said this on the Young Turks Friday, I believe absolutely this happened. 100%. 100%. 
and I believe the tape is out there. 100%. And I believe someday we'll see it. <laughs> uh, I don't want to watch it. No. But, 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 but like, yeah, it's I agree. There. And so, Stephanopoulos, ask Comey, if that's the case, could the Russians, I mean, could this be blackmail or could he be compromised by this? It always struck me and still strikes me as unlikely. And I would have been able to say with high confidence about any other president I dealt with, but... I can't. It's possible. It's possible that the president of the United States, let that sink in, it's possible the president of the United States is compromised by the Russians having the P-tape. And by the way, when this all came out, what was it, six months ago or more, right? We all just sort of dismissed this. I never thought we'd be talking about the P-tape again. Yeah. But now it's back. And now it's back with the guy who told Trump about it saying, it's possible that it exists and possible that Trump is is compromised uh, by the existence uh, of that tape. Again, through all of this, I want to hear from you what you think about all this, what you think about this interview, about Comey, about Trump, and kind of where we go from here and what it all means to hear this about a man who happens to be, uh, by accident, maybe, president of the United States. Um so through all of this, uh, in another question that Stephanopoulos gets to, which I think is really key, this is the uh, this is the focus, one of the focuses of the Robert Mueller investigation, that in either in firing James Comey or uh, other attempts to shut down this investigation, uh, is there any evidence that Donald Trump uh, actually broke the law in obstructing justice? James Comey, uh, it's possible, he says, right? Was President Trump obstructing justice? Possibly. I mean, it's certainly some evidence of obstruction of justice. Wow. So The, the second part of that, right, like the possibly you think, yeah, okay, okay, but like when he yeah. actually goes, there is some evidence that he possibly obstructed right. justice. Some evidence, right. Again, that's what makes uh, Comey credible here. You know, he, he backs up his, his conclusions uh, with what he observed, uh, 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 factually, with what he observed. Uh, and finally, I guess the key is, and one of the phrases that uh, we hear most from this interview, um, George Stephanopoulos asks him about whether or not the president is all there mentally. And Comey says, no, that's not the issue. Mentally, yeah, he's fine. He said he's pretty, he's smart. He keeps up with stuff. He knows what he's doing. It's whether he's morally fit to be president is the real issue. Our president must embody respect and adhere to the values that are at the core of this country, the most important being truth. This president is not able to do that. He is morally unfit to be president. Morally unfit to be president. Uh, Comey goes on and explains again about the immorality he sees, if you will. A person who sees moral equivalence in Charlottesville who talks about and treats women like they're pieces of meat, who lies constantly about matters big and small and insists the American people believe it, that person's not fit to be president of the United States. Yeah. Moral equivalency in Charlottesville treats women like pieces of meat. Wow. Uh, <clears throat> sort of a, uh, paints a good portrait of uh, who Donald Trump really is. Uh, he concluded by saying, quoting him now, we are... Here's, here's the former head of the FBI. 
We are experiencing a dangerous time in our country, Comey warned, with a political environment where basic facts are disputed, fundamental truth is questioned, lying is normalized, and unethical behavior is ignored, excused, or rewarded. A dangerous time in our country. Wow. And again, that coming from career law enforcement. So, uh, Officer James Comey. And by the way, career Republican. He's been a Republican his whole life. Career Republican, yeah. So it's really down to Comey versus Trump. Charles Blow in the New York Times this morning, I think, has has a great column where he says Comey's not his hero, but Donald Trump. In fact, the headline on the column is uh, dislike Comey, despise Trump. Uh, pretty pretty strong words. But the two of them compared to each other, I mean, there's no comparison. I mean, one is a career law enforcement other officer, Republican. The other is a career flim-flam failed casino operator, right? I mean, one of them, Comey, at least is measured in his speech, chooses his words carefully. And then Donald Trump, this hothead who tweets out anything that comes to his mind. And I think the American people already see that. The ABC Washington Post poll to out today shows that, and I find this still a little stunning, but in terms of whom do you believe, Donald Trump or uh, James Comey, 48% say James Comey, 32% say Donald Trump. I can't believe 32% believe <laughs> Donald Trump. Seriously. But again, you know, that's his, that's, his, that's his base, as everybody says. You know, they stick to him uh, no matter, no matter. And, by the way, Donald Trump's, according to, again, ABC Wash Post poll, uh, is at a 40% approval rating today, which is the highest he's been since his first 100 days. 56% disapprove of the job he's doing, but 40%? I think some of that may have to do with the Syria thing, which we'll get into in just a minute, or whatever. But still, that's too high. And, and of course, Trump's uh, response to Comey has been absolutely Trumpian. Absolutely typical. Uh, his tweets, a whole series of, of, of tweets, uh, calling him a liar, of course, accusing him of lying and leaking. Um, you've got some of the tweets up here. When you get them up, let me know. But, yeah, I got some. Um, but, and saying that, bragging about firing him, uh, claiming that everybody, everybody wanted him to fire James Comey uh, until he finally did, uh, that Comey ought to be prosecuted, ought to be in jail. On Friday, he called him an untruthful yeah. slime ball. I mean, he called him a leaker and a liar. Yesterday, he went on another sort of tirade about Comey. Uh, you know, the weekend that we bombed Syria, obviously the yeah. biggest mm-hmm. issue is uh, James Comey. Yeah. Uh, he jumped into, he called him slippery James Comey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so perfect. <laughs> Uh, he d- he says, you know, I never asked Comey for personal loyalty. His memos are self-serving and they are a fake. He called him the worst FBI director in history by far. Uh, these are all quotes from his yeah. uh, uh, his Twitter feed. And, and so, like, just yeah. constantly. And look, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm not a prude, and I use a lot of foul language myself. I try not to on the air. Uh, sometimes I slip, uh, but. I just don't think the president of the United States ought to be calling people a slime ball. And, you know, I, I do think the presidency should be a little more dignified than that. 
Um, I'd like to think that. Yeah, I'd like to think that. Right, I really would. Um, New York Times out today. By the way, if you have a chance to catch it online, whatever. Whole page, one entire page, one editorial. The president is not above the law. Uh, they start with a, a very, very important quote here. Um, this great nation can tolerate a president who makes mistakes, but it cannot tolerate one who makes a mistake and then breaks the law to cover it up. Uh, Arn Hatch said that. Yeah, he didn't say that about Donald Trump. He said that about Bill Clinton. Still true. Boy, if there is ever, I mean, that is the best description of Donald Trump that anybody could possibly give. It's still true, Senator Hatch. 100%, man. Yeah, still. That's spot on. Right, absolutely. So uh, that, that's so much for the Comey thing. And by the way, related to Comey, and we just mentioned, this is the irony of ironies, okay? The day that Donald Trump is out there Friday attacking James Comey as a liar and a leaker and an untruthful slimeball, but for lying and leaking, he attacks him. He also turned around and pardoned Scooter Libby. Gave a full pardon to Scooter Libby, who, by the way, okay, he never went to prison because George Bush commuted his sentence. He has his law license back. He's practicing law, making all kinds of money. Didn't need a pardon for anything. What does he care? Yeah. He's his life. He's a good life. He's around Washington, D.C. Donald Trump pardons him, a full pardon. And what was Scooter Libby's <laughs> crime, if you will? Lying and leaking. He leaked the information. He leaked the identity of a CIA agent, Valerie Plame, who was working with other agents all around the world, putting those lives at risk, exposing one of our spies, if you will, which is an intelligence officer at the CIA. Scooter Libby did that. He leaked that information and then lied about doing so. The leaker and the liar gets a full pardon on the day that Donald Trump is attacking James Comey for leaking and 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 lying, all right, um, go figure. I mean that's that's, that's something. Yeah, I don't know what it is, but it's something. But you know what? Why would Donald Trump do that? I'll tell you why he did that. He did that to send a message to anybody that Robert Mueller may be talking to. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter if you jeopardize national security the way Scooter Libby did. I've got your back. It's certainly. I a will message. give you a total pardon. It's certainly a message to Michael Cohen. Yep. Who's under this uh, right? This yeah. investigation that we now know, like yeah, right. Donald and, Trump will pardon him in a heartbeat. Yep. And a little bit of a related news on that too, which is that uh, <clears throat> Michael Cohen. Uh, by the way, there have been several stories over the weekend that Donald Trump is in maybe in more trouble because of the Michael Cohen investigation out of the New York Attorney's Office, Federal Attorney's Office, than U.S. Attorney's Office, sorry, uh, than he is from the Robert Mueller investigation. Because this really gets into uh, what, whether he and Cohen were conspiring to cover up payments that they were making to Stormy Daniels uh, for $130,000, to Karen McDougal for $150,000, uh, and uh, a third case now came out just on Friday where Michael Cohen also was the fixer, not just for Donald Trump, but for a guy who was the deputy finance chair of the Republican National Committee by the name of Elliot Brody. Uh, Elliot Brody also having an affair 
with a former Playboy model, I believe, uh, who got pregnant uh, and had an abortion. Mm, Republicans paying for an abortion? Oh, no, that would never happen. That's a party of life, Bill. Oh, that would never happen? No. And they arranged a $1.6 million payment to her to keep quiet. When that came out, Elliot Brody resigned from the Republican National Committee uh, on Friday. But, By the way, uh, Republicans uh, never gave back their money that they that they got uh, from Steve Wynn. Right. Like, they're going to keep all this money. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, by the way, I'll tell you, my takeaway from the Elliot Brody story is uh, uh, that, number one, Stormy Daniels got cheated. She didn't get as much money as she should have. She only got— Totally. Yeah, too bad she didn't get pregnant. She might have gotten a couple million, right? Right. Anyhow. So she got cheated, and so did Karen McDougal. Uh, But the other thing is, I think the fact that Michael Cohen fixed this $1.6 million— gives more credibility to, to Stormy Daniels and to Karen McDougal that this is, in fact, what happened and that they were paid as it's all hush money. It was cover, covered up by Donald Trump. Uh, so the plot thickens on the uh, Michael Cohen front. In the meantime, something that kind of got lost, uh, we did bomb Syria on Friday. Uh-oh, did you oh, know right, that? Yeah. Maybe not. And why would Donald Trump... I mean, First of all, this whole thing... The timing of it is really fishy, okay? Here is Fox and Friends, Friday morning. Now, Ainsley Earhart there is interviewing uh, or talking to <clears throat> Fox special assignment reporter, anchor, star, Geraldo Rivera, <laughs> getting his opinion on anything. And uh, and they're talking about the fact that this Comey book is going to make a lot of news. Ainsley Earhart has a suggestion on how to get the publicity and the spotlight off the Comey book. If the president and France and the U.K. decide to strike Syria, don't you think that story would be a bigger story than Comey's book that's released on Tuesday? Oh, my God. By the way, just to see the look on Geraldo's face, for once... He was speechless. He couldn't think about what to say because if he says, yes, that he's part of a conspiracy, right, to cover up the Kobe book. If he says, no, he just, he was, I, I don't even know what he finally came up with, but the, the clip I saw, it was like 30 seconds or more, and he yeah. was just like. He was, he didn't know what to say. Oh, crap. What do I do? <laughs> what do I do about that? Um, you know. And that's, that's exactly what we got. We got uh, her. What she said is, yeah. is exactly what we got. It's exactly how they sold it, rolled it out. We've got yeah. the UK. We've got France. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we'll talk more about this a little later, a little bit later in the program. Uh, but uh, uh, look, yes, Syria used chemical weapons. That was wrong. Uh, but I can't defend this, these military strikes no more than I could defend uh, what President Obama did in Syria. Syria has been a total mess. Donald Trump doesn't know what the hell he's doing. One day he says we're going to pull our, all of our troops out of Syria. The next time he turns around and does a military strike against Syria. And then he brags about mission accomplished. Well, what was the mission and what was accomplished? Nothing, so far as we know. Bashar al-Assad is still there. People are still getting killed every day in this civil war now, which is seven years old. And so all, of, all we've done is every year or so we just doop, Throw in a couple of cruise missiles and think that's going to change anything. May make some people in this country feel good. 
doesn't make doesn't make a bit of difference on the ground. You know, it's it, it also struck me as fascinating that Donald Trump is now sort of trapped in his own creation in the sense that the the manic news cycle that we live in, if we had bombed a country under any other president, that would be big news for a little while. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. without a doubt, it yeah. would be big news Absolutely. for a little while. But because of the the uh, the nature of the Trump presidency, because mo- news moves so quickly and these news cycles only last, you know, four hours, we we'd moved on. We, I mean, we've we've already moved on from Syria. We bombed a country. We sent more troops over, and we are not really talking about it much. Right. It's just sort of like how that's the that's the right. climate he's created. Uh, and I think he tried, but it just failed. I mean, there's no totally. doubt in my mind the timing of this. It happened a week ago. And the fact that he said we're going to strike right away, put out that treat right away, like the missiles are on their way. The fact that they held off, he held off until this weekend because he really felt that it would uh, overshadow, if you will, uh, the, the, Comey, uh, the Comey release and the Comey interview. Anyhow, great lineup of guests coming up. Addie Bear is going to join us next from Think Progress. John Allen from NBC News will be coming along a little bit later. And Ellen Nielsen from uh, Vox coming up. So quick break. We'll be back with Addie Bear to talk more about uh, what it means for Donald Trump, the Michael Cohen investigation up in New York, and other stuff in the news today. Stay with us. Your comments again on uh, all the Comey stuff at Bill Press, at BP Show. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, you bet it is. How about it? Great to see you today. Thank you for joining us, the Bill Press Show, live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. We're brought to you today by the United Food and Commercial Workers Union, those good men and women of the UFCW under President Mark Perone. Building a better life for hardworking men and women everywhere. Uh, the great people who give you such great service at all of our great uh, grocery retail chains uh, across the country. We salute them, thank them for the support of the program, and welcome uh, to the studio, a political reporter for Think Progress, Addie Baird. Hello, Addie. Good nice morning. to see you. Thanks Good for coming in. Good to be here. In. Yeah, we got lots to talk about. Yes, um, we do. <laughs> and we've been at it for a little bit, particularly on the James Comey uh, interview, so... Uh, Peter, stirring up some comments. Yes, indeed. We got a couple of comments on Twitter at BP Show. At BP Show, you can follow us on Twitter and weigh in on any topic at any time. Joey says, I think he speaks for all of us when he says, "I'm no James Comey. I'm not James Comey's biggest fan, but that is how a grown man handles himself." And I hate to say this, but he looked presidential compared to Donald <laughs> Trump. <laughs> yeah, I think that's probably right. Uh, KG says Comey's excuse is BS. Once the new emails have been examined and cleared. There wouldn't have been a problem with the legitimacy of Hillary Clinton. Uh, what so, he should have done, mm-hmm. obviously, on that second round of emails is examine them to see if there was anything there before announcing that they were opening, reopening the investigation. He did it ass backwards yeah. and I think cost Hillary the election. Uh, one other commenter talking about how Donald Trump was mostly upset about the fact that uh, he asked James Comey, Did I do I look like someone who pays for prostitutes? <laughs> Uh, someone Who was needs said, hookers, right? Someone right, said yeah. it's it's cost him over three hundred thousand dollars to get laid by two different women. <laughs> you are <laughs> essentially paying for sex, Don Juan. <laughs> so, 
If you have a comment, you can find us on Twitter at BP Show. But whoa, whoa, whoa! But let sorry about this, Addy. No, uh, let's but, let's just dig right yeah, in. Yeah, let's we're rolling. In but the deep also, now. let's remember that both Stormy Daniels and Karen McDougal said the first thing Donald Trump did when it was over was offer them money. Yes. That's his move, right? Yes. You're very special. Let yes. me pay you. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like I've paid everybody else I had sex There's with. There's so many telling things about that comment. And I, I, I said to my editor when, when I heard that, I said, you know, someone needs to tell Donald Trump that that the right term is sex workers. <laughs> right, <laughs> was the, right. Was the other thing is I was, that's just telling. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I don't know whether you had a chance to watch any of the uh, Comey interview last night, but can't let you uh, in the studio without asking you. Just in general, uh, the American people are being asked to – they got two choices. You believe James Comey or believe Donald Trump? How's, it, how's it playing? Exactly. I mean, I, I've seen it basically boil down to that a lot, and I think that's right. I think the question is, who do you trust? It doesn't matter who you like, but who do you trust? And I think the answer of who you trust between James Comey and Donald Trump is extremely clear. It's James Comey. And Donald Trump is doing everything he can, plus the RNC. By the way, talk about a pathetic response, right? They said, yeah, (sighs) higher loyalty to himself. Ha, ha, ha. That's their. Right. Yeah. That's right. their line, right? To I mean, try. they all, are they, everyone sounds like Trump now. They want to get in the, like, quippy, nickname-filled insults that, like... Slippery James Comey. Exactly. It's like, um, it, 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 it really is a ridiculous response. And it's exactly what Trump wants, though, too, is to not have to focus on anything that's actually said. Like, James Comey went on TV last night and said that Donald Trump was unfit to be president. Um, Morally and, unfit to be president right. of the United States. And you, you can't. That's about as strong as you can exactly, get. Right? Exactly. Exactly. Without yeah. name calling, just right. Laying it out there. Right. right. Um, so um, there are those who believe, and maybe you have written this too, that um, Donald Trump could be in serious legal jeopardy. Yes, from Robert Mueller, but maybe even more so from the New York. Uh, investigation into Michael Cohen. Do you yeah. believe that? And if so, why? You know, I, I you've been, you've think I believe it. Um, I there was a great Times report on Friday that Donald Trump's lawyers think that yes. the Cohen the Cohen investigation the investigation into Michael Cohen is more dangerous to Donald Trump than the Mueller investigation. Um, and you know, I think that one of the ways that I don't know. In, you know, so much of the Mueller investigation is happening behind closed doors. We don't know what he has. We don't even necessarily know who he's spoken to. We don't know how wide reaching it is. Um, but we do know that Michael Cohen, the search warrant that had to be that a, that a judge granted to raid Michael Cohen's office requires um, evidence, compelling evidence of a crime being committed. Mm-hmm. And that's telling. Michael and, Cohen and, and they is, got the search warrant. They got the search warrant from a federal judge. The only client Michael Cohen has had for years and years and years is Donald Trump. So that's really, really telling. That puts both of them in a very dangerous place. Right. Uh, and this is from a <coughs> pardon me U.S. Attorney's Office that has a reputation. Yes. Uh, you know, it's the Southern District of New York. They call it yep. the Supreme District, I think, of New York or something, <laughs> because they they go 
um, against politicians, Republicans, exactly. Democrats across the board, and they're, yeah. they're pretty. Ind- they operate pretty independently right. of the Justice Department. Yeah, and they pick a lot of big Wall Street cases, and and they've had a lot of a lot of success. And yeah. now they're full bore on the trail of Michael Cohen. Right. Uh, under a guy that Trump appointed, <laughs> but has recused himself from this particular investigation. Yep. Well, and the thing that's just sort of classic, I think, um, Michael Cohen didn't have to be in court on Friday, um, but he was sitting on a bench outside of his Manhattan hotel, smoking cigars with his friends. Um, There were some questions asked to his lawyer that the lawyer couldn't answer, and the judge was very upset that Michael Cohen wasn't there to answer them and ordered that Michael Cohen be in court today. Right. Um, and I, so he's in. He's yeah. back in court today. Yes. Well, what is he? Why is he in court? What's he asking? They are trying to block the government from actually being able to go through the documents that, that they were seized. seized in the raid. Yeah. So uh, that is that is what it all boils down to. And Donald Trump himself has said, uh, uh, kind of siding with Michael Cohen, right from some distance, that. Attorney-client privilege is dead. Yes. <laughs> it's not, to be clear. <laughs> Don't worry, guys. <laughs> you and your lawyer are fine unless you're committing crimes. I was crimes. for a second there. <laughs> Even Chris Christie came out last week and said, no, 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 that's not true. Right? This, whenever yeah. this happens, there's another crew that comes in, and they separate what's under attorney-client privilege from what's not. And right. they've done this, and they're very careful about it. It's called the taint I love that. <laughs> it's I, like a band name. <laughs> I know. Yeah. <laughs> so what's tainted, what's not tainted is okay. What's tainted is set aside. Right. And they do this all the time, so there's nothing to worry about. Michael yeah. Cohen wants it all to be, in other words, they can't look at any, any of the stuff that they see. Exactly. He, that's what they want. He would decide. Right. Uh, and the other the other thing that's rumored, or maybe you know that's as fact, is that there may be recordings of telephone calls yeah it i don't know for sure but there is basic it's we're, we're fairly certain that there are recordings michael cohen is known for recording things um and it, we as we understand there were some recordings seized it's unclear what they are so if michael cohen's in trouble why donald trump because he and cohen were up to something illegal? I mean, they were conspiring to hu- shut these women up, hush them up in, uh, in order not to influence the election or and cover up the payment of the money? I mean... It's all speculation this- at this point. But, you know, like I said, the only client Michael Cohen's had for years and years is Donald Trump. Um, and there are so many questions surrounding the payment to Stormy Daniels, um, to Karen McDougal, uh, the, the kind of just the swirling rumors around that. And the thing Trump finally spoke out about Stormy Daniels. He was asked, did you know about the payment? He said no. He was asked, do you know where Michael Cohen got the money? He said no. Um, and there's a lot of things about that that maybe don't line up. If you want to bring Comey back, Donald Trump appears to have a loose relationship with um, so there's all of these questions that really, uh, a, a lot of them surrounding Stormy Daniels, uh, the other 
women who have come out that it, that Trump has uh, that Michael Cohen mm-hmm. has tried to shut up. Um, so yeah, it, it really does kind of that's at the center of this. Right. Um, but it, we don't really know at this and the point. story that broke Friday. We just talked talk about it a little bit ago with Elliot Brody from the Art Republican National Committee, mm-hmm. Deputy Finance Chair, mm-hmm. resigning mm-hmm. when news broke that Michael Cohen had been his fixer as well. Right. Arranging a payment of $1.6 million to a woman who was impregnated yep. by um, uh, by Elliot Brody, having, who's having an affair with. Um, it seems to me that that news sort of gives a lot of credibility to Stormy Daniels and Karen McDougal. That, yeah, yeah, this is the way Michael Cohen operated. This is the way that Michael Cohen operates. This is the way that the men who surround Michael Cohen operate. This is something that Michael Cohen is good at. He's done before. He knows how to handle it. Yeah, I I think you're totally on the money there. Yeah. Um, unrelated yeah. to the Donald Trump, <laughs> but related in the sense of in trouble over an affair and the way he handled it is the governor of Missouri, who is is in court uh, next month, I guess, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Who admits the affair but denies it was anything but consensual, denies it was any physical violence, and um, denies that he threatened to release this photo of this woman that he he took um, uh, and uh, seems determined to fight it in court. By the way, refuses you, to resign. You mentioned it's related to Trump. He certainly took on the Trump rhetoric. We played this clip yes, last yes. week. That's exactly what I was going to say, yeah. Peter. Yeah. This is a political witch hunt. There he is. Right? There it is. Right. He's yeah. channeling how, Donald Trump, who was channeling Richard Nixon. How? Yeah. yeah how Trumpian? Yeah. 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 Well, basically, a uh, committee in Missouri finds this woman very, very credible, um, and she testified under a under committee, oath. a group of Republicans, a group of Republicans appointed by the legislature yep. to look into this. Yep, um, the woman testified under oath that there she that they had an affair. She said some of it was consensual, some more of it was extremely not consensual. Um, and this committee found her credible. Um, I think it's also really telling the uh, attorney general of Missouri, Josh Hawley, who is running for Senate against the uh, likely the Republican nominee against Claire McCaskill, um, has called for the governor to resign. So things are really the winds are blowing against him. The report is very, very disturbing. It's it's really upsetting. All right. Uh, and what could what could be I mean, if he loses. What he goes to jail? I mean, one would think, but I also, I also don't it is even. Missouri, right? exa- exactly, it is Missouri. It is Trump's America. <laughs> you know, I mean, he certainly ought to. He sexually assaulted her. Um, by you know, I, I find her credible. The committee finds her credible. There is no reason for us to believe that she is lying. Um, you know, it it is it is. A crime. He assaulted her by, you know, allegedly. <laughs> well, um, I don't know if you've had a chance, but certainly Republicans in Missouri, maybe not all of them, but I would think there would be a lot of Republicans in Missouri. You, you mentioned the attorney general being one of them. That would just like this guy to get out of the way, to right. disappear. This right? has because been going on for years at this point. You know, it, it, it was a sex well, scandal. Now it's clear that this is a sexual assault scandal. Um, this has just been going on and on, and he's still running for reelection. He refuses to resign, and I think 
the but that's got to have some impact on other Republicans exactly. running for office. Exactly. Right? Yeah, and yeah. Particularly with this big Senate seat. Yep. Um, I forget who it was the last time the Claire McCas- McCaskill. Oh, I don't remember, remember either. She lucked out because she whoever it was. I remember who it was. Oh, yes. It was Todd Aiken. Oh, my. Todd yes. Aiken. It was yes. Todd Aiken. Todd Aiken. <laughs> it was Todd Aiken. Yeah. Legitimate rape. Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. That, the yes. body has a way of shutting that whole thing down. Remember? Uh, yes. Right. Todd, Todd. Aiken's comments. Ugh. Uh, so, you know, so this time here she is and the Republican governor's got this big sex scandal going on again. It's, I mean, it, he's not running against her. She's not running against him. But it has to have some impact on the political climate in Missouri. It really this, does. And I think that's a big reason why Holly called on him to resign. We should also mention Holly is not exactly um, anyone to call home about. Uh, he has yeah. basically one of the, one of the things. The that attorney has, general. Yes. Yep. Who's the likely Republican nominee um, for for the Senate in Missouri? Um, he has one of the things that really got him on the national radar is he said that the sexual revolution in the '60s is to blame for sex trafficking. So he has got uh, some really questionable things that we all ought to interrogate as well. Okay, he, you know people say such dumb things. This is not not something maybe before them, but we just heard this a little earlier. The governor of Kentucky, uh, where there is. A possible uh, Randy Weingarten, the president of the American Federation of Teachers, was our guest last week, and she mentioned uh, we were talking about the teachers' walkouts in West Virginia and in Oklahoma and in Florida, and how great this was. And she said, "In Kentucky, they're talking now, maybe in Kentucky." So the governor of Kentucky, he's trying to um, put down any teachers, any any possible. Well, no, the teachers. I guess they did. Walk out in Kentucky for at least one day. Yeah, yeah. And here's I haven't a, followed this very closely, but, but here's I saw the governor's that. here's here's the governor's take on that. I guarantee you, somewhere in Kentucky today, a child was sexually assaulted that was left at home because there was nobody there to watch them. I guarantee you, somewhere today, a child was physically harmed or ingested poison because they were home alone because a single parent didn't have any money to take care of them. Yeah, blame those teachers. Blame those teachers. And they blame walked out the and, parents. And, and blame yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like no yeah. one can raise their kid. Oh yeah, right. Every- and like children don't get into poisonous stuff at school all the time. Like like teachers have never assaulted children. What is that? It's just it's just insane. I've yeah. told this story a couple of times. He, this was he did apologize a couple of years idiot. ago. Good. A couple of years ago, I went to CPAC just to go out there, and <laughs> I was cornered by a total lunatic. Uh, that I think he'd had a couple of drinks, but he was very very. Uh, combative and very weird and had lots of crazy things to say and that was Matt Bevins. That was Matt Bevins, yeah. Oh. Really? Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. This was when he was trying to run against Mitch McConnell uh, for Senate in Kentucky and then like a couple years later he ran for governor and there he is. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Total frothing lunatic. I guess some things never change. No. No, that's who he is. I don't think it's an act. I think that's who he is. Yep. If you had only punched him out then. I know, right? Peter, you could have saved America. Uh, Where's my time machine? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, now uh, sticking to the political front. Yes. A big race coming up in Arizona. That's right. That hasn't gotten as much attention as it should. No. This is another special election. It's another special election. The first one since Pennsylvania 18, I guess, right? Yep. Okay, so tell us about this. You're going out. You're heading out there. I'm headed out there on Friday. This is Arizona's 8th district. Um, This is the special election 
to replace Trent Franks, um, who resigned uh, late last year after he asked a staffer of his to be his surrogate. Um, so, I, I mean, you know, all you can do is laugh. It's so absurd. I know. It, yeah. I mean, it's just. It's so absurd. Um, I think that there's a few reasons it hasn't gotten as much attention. I think Arizona is a little further away from from the Beltway mindset than right. Pennsylvania. Yeah, that's um, a pretty red district too. It's a pretty red it? district. So was Pennsylvania's 18th. True, it's less true, red than true. Pennsylvania's 18th. Is it? But okay. um, yeah, yeah, yep, it is. Um, but there are two women running. There's a, a, a both women, uh, Republican and Democrat nominees. Um, Geralta Bernini is the um, Democratic nominee. She's a doctor. She doesn't have much political experience. This was sort of her... uh, She just decided that this is what she wanted to do and was inspired to run. Um, uh, And then Debbie Lesko is the Republican nominee. She has been sort of a fixture in Arizona politics for a long time. She served in the state legislature for a while. Um, She's a really interesting character. She really uh loves donald trump um uh, she has i was spoken... going to ask you how how far away from donald trump she, is she loves donald trump i've been going she um I've, I've been doing a bunch of research on her and i've been going back she was an op-ed writer for a local paper years and years ago mm-hmm. and was making trumpian you know r- style op-ed remarks uh years ago you know i found that she wrote two different op-eds two different years about why we should say merry christmas uh, instead of happy holidays um she voted for um that bill in arizona a few years ago that basically made it made racial profiling legal um was a big proponent of it um she so she is very much in line with trump so she's a donald trump joe arpaio republican yes absolutely um but there's a really something really interesting there which is that she uh was in her her first husband was physically abusive to her and she got out of that um marriage and has spoken about it publicly and talked about it a fair amount and so obviously, with with Trent Franks resigning, uh, this special and and that aspect of it, and our general national conversation, and this this is a there's a Me Too story that's really a strong thread through through this election. And Bernini is um, um, a Hillary or a Bernie Democrat. De Bernini is, is um, interesting. I'm actually I'm talking to her today, um, and I want to talk to her. A lot. I don't actually know exactly where I want to f- focus in on healthcare stuff with her. You know, talk about. Medicaid for all, um, and or sorry, Medicare for all, Um, and yeah, she is. She's sort of uh, the the kind of classic twenty eighteen woman candidate. She was inspired to run. She's got a strong background, but outside of politics. Um, And the other interesting thing: this is Arizona '08. Gabby Giffords served in '08, but Mm. Arizona was sort of redistricted. So this is actually. You know, compared to the map when when Giffords was in office, Arizona's second. That said, she has played a big role in this election. She's endorsed Geralta Bernini, um, and they, uh, you know, on gun issues, Geralta Bernini has never cast a gun vote and has already gotten an F from the NRA. So, <laughs> so um, well, of course, that's, so that's she's a, a friend of Gabby well. Giffords. Exactly. Uh, the NRA exactly. is not going to right, right. Uh, do you know any polling done so far? Um, there has been some polling. It has less go ahead, but that polling is based on what they, you know, past turnout, essentially. Tipperini can come close, potentially pull off a win if she can drive 
new turnout if she can bring out mm -hmm. people who haven't been there before or peel off those sort of center-right Republicans, which is something that Connor Lamb did really well. I was talking to um, an operative in Arizona and I a few weeks ago, and I said, is Geralta Bernini the next Connor Lamb? And he said, we would like to think so. But, uh, you know, one of the things that you have to think about is she's a woman of color without any political experience. And Connor Lamb was a white man. He, a lot of women I talked to just thought he was so handsome and they loved him. He has a long history in Pennsylvania politics. So this is another test of what kind of candidates can do well in Trump country. Uh, and the election is? The election is um, not... It's, it's a week from tomorrow. Week from tomorrow. Yep. All right, great. Hey, Addie, it's so great to see you. It's Thanks so for great your to good be work. here. Okay. Addie, you can follow Addie at thinkprogress.org. Hey, friends, thanks for joining a podcast. I want to tell you about something really new and exciting called patreon.com slash BP show. It's a great way to get uh, exclusive interviews with newsmakers, voicemails, personalized videos, political commentary, and early access to a special podcast called The Making of Bernie Sanders. Go to patreon.com slash BP show. Patreon.com slash BP show. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. He is morally unfit to be president of the United States. So says former FBI director James Comey. What do you say? Hello, everybody. Uh, that statement made uh, in the big interview last night. James Comey's first interview since he was fired by Donald Trump, given to George Stephanopoulos on ABC, the launch of uh, as part of the launch of his book tour, which comes his book Higher Loyalty, which comes out tomorrow. Hey, good to see you today. Hope you had a uh, great, great weekend. Had a chance to catch up with uh, all of your friends and family, and maybe just relax a little bit and get away from the political news. Although it was hard to get away. Because there's so damn much of it, and we will get through as much as we can through the next hour with all of you. I look forward to getting your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. And to help us through the news of the day, John Allen here, national political reporter for NBC News. Mr. Allen, it's always good to see you. I am also morally unfit to be president. For what it's worth, I thought you were talking about me when you entered uh, the, the segment. <laughs> Well, um, uh, I think on a moral scale, I still put you above Donald Trump. Uh, well, I, I appreciate your judgment on that. <laughs> Do you ever see such a, a busy news period, news time? It's 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 almost impossible to keep up with, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I, I I had this sort of belief that um, we finally got to this like critical mass point where there are so many people that are like at least somewhere between A-list and D-list <laughs> celebrity or personality that they can't help but create new news all the time but uh but you uh before we came on uh you set me straight it's really just donald trump <laughs> <laughs> it's basically one guy right it is uh who um who gets in his own way sometimes by by making news that maybe where he shouldn't be making news at any rate we have lots and lots to talk about with all of you we'll jump right into it 
But first, speaking about this is the Full Court Press. Peter's got to bring us. Yes, yes, just a couple of other stories making news. From the Department of, I kind of understand where this guy was coming from. Joseph Kurame is 75 years old, and he faces one felony count of damage to property. What did he do? Well, he didn't like all the speeding vehicles outside of his house. So, he spread nails all over the road and did damage to more than 100 cars. (laughs) (laughs) Now, it's not... It's How not, did it take him that long to get caught? I know. Well, that's the thing. Like, everybody kept driving over this area, and they'd end up with flat tires, and they'd have all kinds of problems. So they finally talked to a person who took it to a repair shop, and they put up surveillance video of where they were and showed an older man spreading nails all over the road. It turns out this was the man that was arrested. So, uh Look, I'm not saying that this guy's a hero or anything like that, but I understand you get upset with this type of stuff. But you can't go putting nails on the road. That'll, that's something that'll get you in trouble. That's something that'll definitely get you in trouble. Uh, by the way, uh, d- interesting story. No matter where you are in America, at least 11 states have reported an E. coli outbreak that started in mid-March. Now, the CDC had reported this on Friday. They finally uncovered the source chopped romaine lettuce but they have not identified the grower or where people are buying this so this idaho pennsylvania california there have been a couple of different states uh, as i mentioned 11 different states this is why i don't eat salad peter this is is not a commercial to get you out of eating salad still eat your salad just don't eat the convincing to me the chopped romaine lettuce uh that you're getting so uh again they have some uh information on the cdc's website they're saying that the contaminated lettuce likely originated in yuma arizona but because of the way that things grow and the way that they're distributed they went all over the country so just be careful monitor the cdc's website to make sure uh, that you are not a part of the area that has been uh, afflicted and hit with this so but not eating salads are also just don't eat salad. pretty good response until right? they figure this out yeah i should say it's one of the reasons i don't eat <laughs> This is the Bill Press Show. Yes, indeed. Here we are. It is the lawmaker versus the lawbreaker. James Comey versus Donald Trump. Uh, And it's up to us, the American people, to decide which one is the more credible. I think I made up my mind. Hello, everybody. What do you say? On a Monday, April 16, good to see you as we boom out to you coast to coast all across this great land of ours from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. Good to be back with you after a quick tour to the uh, West Coast, San Diego and Los Angeles. Uh, I'm back here with the news of the day and joining you online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show, on television, on Free Speech TV, and out in the greater Chicago area, on the big progressive voice of Chicago, WCPT, in studio with us from NBC News, uh, John Allen. Last time John and I were together, we were at Politics and Prose talking about uh, the new book, uh, my new book, From the Left, A Life in the Crossfire. Thank you again, John, for uh, coming in and uh, interviewing me in front of the group there at Crowd 
politics and prose. We had a lot of fun. We fun. did. It was it was uh, totally my pleasure. And uh, like I said to the audience there, um, anybody that wants to know more about Bill Press, <laughs> this is the book. I wanted to know more about Bill Press, so I enjoyed it. Okay. I think your listeners, your your viewers, will also want to know more about you and actually get the sort of uh, the behind the scenes story of how you went from uh, potentially being a man of the cloth uh, to Boy. being a man of political commentary. Yeah. And strategy. Boy, a lot of people are glad that I didn't end up a man of the cloth. I would say myself. the people at the Vatican, you, yeah. because you would have risen in politics there, and you would have been the guy at the conclave behind the scenes, uh, you know, with the black smoke or the white smoke. Uh, Wait, my... what would your pope name have been? Don't you get to pick a pope name? I do, yeah. I don't even want to think about that, no. Uh, anyhow, uh, by the way, if you find out more about the book, go to our website at uh, Bill Press Show. BillPressShow.com, number seven on the Washington Post bestseller list, by the way. Uh, Congratulations. So the president said in his tweet uh, uh, Friday morning, or Saturday morning, rather, after announcing Friday night. Let's have his announcement again, Peter. So um, Donald Trump in front of the nation Friday night. A short time ago, I ordered the United States Armed Forces to launch precision strikes on targets associated with the chemical weapons capabilities of Syrian dictator Bashar al-Assad. And the next morning he tweeted, mission accomplished. What was the mission and was it accomplished? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, look, it's up to the president to define what the mission was. If the mission was to alter the course of the Syria conflict in any way, shape, or form, it wasn't accomplished. If it was... Uh, to stop uh, Bashar al-Assad from using chemical weapons against his own people or killing his own people, which is, I think, uh, what the definition of that mission would be. Uh, it remains to be seen, except for to say that we've uh, struck Syria before uh, and that has not dissuaded him from doing it. In fact, there's a lot of continuity between – people don't want to admit this, but there's a lot of continuity between the Obama policy towards Syria and the Trump policy towards Syria. The big difference being Obama didn't strike uh, after a chemical weapons attack. Uh, Trump did. And neither policy has changed anything in Syria. Uh, so our ability to affect that with, you know, sort of long-range quick strikes seems pretty limited. Yeah, Obama had threatened a strike, of course. And then uh, they, Russia came up with this magic solution. Syria will just agree to get rid of all of its chemical weapons. And they shipped a lot of them out of the country. That's what, you know. It I turns remember, out if you ship them out, you can ship them back. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> or whatever. I, I mean. remember John Kerry said, he didn't use the phrase mission accomplished, but then Secretary of State said they did what they promised to do. There are no more chemical weapons. Then we turn around and they've used them again, right? Right. right. I mean, if you're Bashar al-Assad, you're trying to win your civil war. If anything, the United States' response to you so far has been one of tacit encouragement in that we have not, and I'm not arguing that we should, but we have not decided that we're going to go in heavy uh, and and try to take out Assad. We have changed our policy from uh, regime change, and we're not going to do that. And if you're him, it's like, well, maybe I'm going to take a couple missile strikes every once in a while. But meanwhile, I'm killing tens or hundreds of thousands of my own people uh, to try to try to keep control of this country. Um, so, so despite after this attack, like after the missile strike, like the one last year, Bashar al-Assad remains in power. The civil war. Continues. Rages on. So basically, they took one hit, but nothing happened. Yeah, no mission is accomplished. And, yeah. and uh, you know, the other thing, I mean, it's possible that the president 
was trolling George W. Bush in some way. It's also possible he has no idea what, what? mission accomplished would trigger in <laughs> so yeah. many people in terms of assessing it. But I do think that I think it that's also probably spe- the more likely answer. I do too. By the way. Yeah, like, I don't think. I just don't think it's on his radar. Um, I, but I also think that it speaks to something that's really uh, intrinsic about Donald Trump, which is he really has a need to sell whatever he's doing as much more than it really is. And we saw him say for months and months that he really won uh, the popular vote. We saw him. Uh, we saw him talk about uh, how he only hired the best. Uh, only to sit, turn around and, and fire them. Um, we, you know, his campaign slogan for 2020 already rolled out is keep America great. Um, so apparently everything that he saw was a problem with the United States was fixed already. Um, this is somebody who really has this desperate need to oversell everything. Um, and, you know, it just doesn't match up to the reality of what happened in Syria, which is, you know, well, the term pinprick has been used before for such... Yeah, uh, for such um, activities, and, and I don't want to underplay any military operation, but this was not the largest scale thing that the U.S. has ever done. Uh, is, is, there so, is there also the fact that now, in at least two cases, Donald Trump as president, this and maybe not unusual because presidents sometimes, when they once they get in office, they do things differently than they said when they were campaigning. But it was only a week ago he said. At, when he was campaigning, he said, a series of mistakes. We, we don't belong there. We ought to get out. And a week ago, he said, we, we're going to pull the remaining troops that we have in Syria out and just get out altogether. And now we're staying in. And, and President Macron of France says he talked to Trump and, and convinced him to keep the American troops there. Same uh, thing with Afghanistan. The president <laughs> campaigning said, Donald Trump campaigning said, Afghanistan's gone on too long, which it has. We ought to get out. Well, he put more troops in. Yeah, he got rolled by the Pentagon, just like Barack Obama did when he said he was going to pull out of Afghanistan and got rolled by the Pentagon. Yeah, yeah. The Pentagon I comes in that's... and says, oh, no, 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 we got a plan to win. Uh, if you leave, it'll be terrible. This one plan we have to win, if you give us these 44,000 forces or whatever, it's going to change the, the course of history in Afghanistan. You know, I, This happens to, you know, if not every president, certainly the last couple, and, and I think George W. Bush was also somebody who – Got rolled by some folks in his administration who wanted to go to war. Yeah, um, and you know, not to say that he didn't want to go, but I think he was pushed in that direction certainly, um, and then pushed to not change strategy. I mean, you know, I think one of the things uh, that that Bush probably doesn't doesn't get talked about a lot about the Bush presidency, or doesn't always get talked about, is Iraq wasn't just one thing. At some point, he decided his advisors were terrible and changed course in Iraq. Um, but I think that, uh, you know, these guys, these presidents get in and they, they're afraid of, uh, doing, you know, making a decision that's at odds with what the military advisors tell them, even though, you know, we, there's a reason we have civilian control of the military. Um, and in the yeah. case of Syria right now, it's not necessarily intention to strike Assad to punish him for the chemical weapons attack and also pull out of Syria, or, you know, sort of decide that you're not going to go in there. Um, and yet, it seems like Macron has convinced President Trump not to withdraw anything. And, you know, this is, to some extent, France, it's the whole world's problem. It's a humanitarian disaster, but it's also France's problem. I mean, historically, Syria is, you know, mm-hmm. more or less a French satellite. I mean, it, it has not been for many years, but right. they are heavily influenced by French culture. They are heavily inf- influenced by the French history in Syria. And so this is something where... France needs our help, 
or wants our help. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure that the president's aware of all that history. And I think the president who campaigned would have said, leave it to France. Yeah, right. Uh, John Allen's with us from NBC News, NBC dot, NBCnews.com. So Donald Trump has, is in legal jeopardy on at least two fronts. Robert Mueller investigation here and the New York Attorney's Office, U.S. Attorney's Office uh, up, in, up in New York. Which one do you think poses more of a threat to Donald Trump? All of it. <laughs> I really, you know, I, I, I've been watching the commentary on television. People yeah. are like, oh, well, the Southern District of New York. I mean, that really, I mean, yeah. you can't fire yeah. people. And, and I mean, you could fire the, the U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York. But I mean, the but, investigation. But who already recused himself, of course. Right, yeah. right. I mean, like, he can fire whoever the heck he wants. But um, I think that, that the whole picture is very bad for Donald Trump. You keep looking at this and you're like, how does he get out of it and, and over what period of time? Right. Like what are the what are the ways in which he could navigate through all of this? And the answer is it's hard to see that path. And even if you were to see that path, it would be years and years in the future, which means that the rest of his presidency will be under the cloud of investigation. So you got Robert Mueller going down what we think is a dual path of collusion and obstruction. Right. Right. And then you've got the U.S. Attorney's Office, which is looking at possible cover up of hush money. Right. Fixed by bank fraud, money laundering, campaign yeah. finance violations—you name it. Uh, not necessarily Donald Trump violations, but you're 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 getting pretty close when you're like the threshold to raid his personal lawyer's office and take files, take attorney-client files. That's that's a high bar to clear. Mm -hmm. They they had something. They had something good before they went in there. They couldn't get the search warrant unless they had some compelling evidence, right? And now they're gonna now they're gonna put all, as much pressure as they possibly can on Michael Cohen to turn on the president, and Cohen will face the same decision uh, that Manafort and others face, which is, uh, you know, do you tell tell the prosecutors everything you know about the president, or do you assume the president will pardon you? If you don't tell them everything, uh, I think that the message that Donald Trump sent by pardoning. Scooter Libby certainly sent a message to Michael Cohen. Look, uh, you're my guy. You've been my guy for a long time. I'll, I might not have paid you, <laughs> but I'll take care of you. But not paying him is the problem. Right, right. I mean, if you go down the campaign finance violation road, and by the way, I'm not sure that comes to fruition just because we, that's a difficult, it's a difficult area of law to get convictions in. Um, but if you go down the campaign finance road, you're dealing with um, the possibility that Michael Cohen essentially gave a gift to the campaign, and right. if he was paid back by the president, then it's a loan, which is also something that should have to is, has to be reported. Um, and if the president was aware of it enough to pay him back, then the president has some responsibility for that. Whereas if Cohen had given him a gift that he didn't know about, it would be hard to report that. You know, in your campaign records, if you could show that you didn't know about but it. But what they could but have. my it, guess is that they have something that suggests that they know about that the uh, president knew uh, about that's it. Just, that, that's just what I was going to say. I, it, it, there, there, there could be evidence there that Donald Trump knew what Michael Cohen was doing, and they colluded together or conspired together to keep it quiet. Oh, I mean, the, the malpractice of uh, a lawyer not telling his client something like that would be pretty high. And then you start to get into questions of commingling of funds. I mean, you know the basic concepts of law, where if you're paying, uh, if you're paying things for your, for your client, you're uh, that's that's against the basic ethics of of being a lawyer. I mean, you, 
disbarment is the least of Michael Cohen's worries at this point, but yeah. certainly yeah. something he could face. Right. Um, so why did all of a sudden Donald Trump, out of the blue, it appears, pardon Scooter Libby? Well, I think the message that he sent was <laughs> one reason. I mean, you know, I don't, I can't speak to his, can't speak to what the president's thinking. However, uh, you would have to know that it was going to send that message, and the decision to go ahead and do it anyway suggests that at the very least you're comfortable with that message being sent. Um, you know, he also look. He keeps pardoning people who are guilty of uh, of sharing classified information with people who shouldn't have it. Uh, this is at least the second time he's done that. There was the Navy guy who had taken pictures inside the submarine or whatever. I remember the president's rallies where people say, lock her up mm. about Hillary Clinton for, yeah. uh, you know, uh, as James Comey said, you know, being uh, careless with classified information. So uh, clearly the president doesn't think that lying to the FBI or sharing class- classified information is a, is a real big deal. Well, it, it, it is. Uh, if, if you're his friend. Yeah, right. I mean— the irony of the the day that he accuses um, attacks Comey for being a liar and a leaker, and then he pardons Scooter Libby, who is a liar and a leaker for sure, right? Well, I mean, he's been convicted of so, yeah, such yeah, things. convicted of it, right? And when you're Not pardoned, just accused, by the way, when you're convicted, pardoned, it doesn't overturn the idea that you were guilty of it. And in fact, it <laughs> reinforces the idea that you were guilty yeah. of it. Yeah, you essentially have to say yes, I am guilty of it, and I accept the pardon. Uh, has anybody figured out where this idea of pardoning Scooter, where, where it came from? You know, it's unlikely that Dick Cheney called him up and said, take care of my friend, right? I don't know that they have any no, relationship. I mean, there are other rela- I mean, I'm sure there are other relationships that go in that direction. Yeah. You know, they're, they're, I mean, it, it's unlikely that John Kelly would have suggested that. Wait, know. but in all honesty, if if there was a story that was to come out today that said Donald Trump and Dick Cheney had a phone conversation on Wednesday of last week, would that shock you in the in the slightest? It no. would surprise, not shock. It would surprise me that Dick Cheney and Donald that could get Donald that, Trump that would on, be the on the phone. Part. Yeah, even that would be the surprise. And I haven't heard well, from Cheney you know in the last able, two years. You know who might be able to do that is somebody who put out a statement about it right after it happened. Liz Cheney, who ah, was yes. voting with Trump. Ah, yes. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And is somebody you know? Right. So th- there's, uh, I think that's a, um, I think that's a possible connective tissue between Cheney world right. and Trump world. So, uh, as a national political reporter for NBC News, uh, former Vice President Joe Biden was on MSNBC, I believe it was over the weekend, not NBC, and I mean it's all the same sisters' channels, but uh, and said he is not saying no to 2020. <laughs> uh, so, what does that mean? Is he really? He's, Who is saying no to 2020? True, at this true. Point? That's a good point. But I mean, he's previously said he was running. Yeah. Oh. So now he's getting less. I think. Oh. He's, he's taking well, a he's taking taking a step I don't back. Think he, well, he hasn't certainly announced, but no, but, it, but he, right he, after 2016, he was quoted saying, "You know, I'm I'm running." Not. It, it was like a lighthearted comment, but you know, you don't usually say that unless you you're thinking about it. But least. he he gives all the signs of looking at 2020 yes. for sure, right? Yeah, he's helping Democratic candidates. He's got a pack that's out there. Just did a book tour. Right. Um, you know, I mean, you know, the, the <laughs> a politician releases a book, you have to assume they're running for president <laughs> in the next election. Right. Uh, the question is, and I love Joe Biden, right? 
is is Joe Biden in tune with the Democratic Party in 2020? I think what Joe Biden is more in tune with than most Democrats is the part of the Democratic Party that Donald Trump won in the 2016 election. Um, I'm not sure that he's in tune with the rest of the Democratic Party. Um, and I mean, look, you'll see how flexible he is and how adaptive he is and how willing voters are to let him be in a different place on issues you know, that he took stands on years ago. He's already, he's apologized recently for Anita Hill, right? Or to Anita Hill for the, uh, the Clarence Thomas hearings and the way that he did that. He wrote the crime bill that was painful to Hillary Clinton in the primary uh, in mm-hmm. 2016, right? So uh, that you know involved that basically created this sort of culture of mass incarceration. Um, he was the author of that in the Senate. Uh, if it hurt her because her husband signed it, uh, presumably it could be used by an opponent against Joe Biden pretty effectively, unless the Democratic Party is willing to for, forgive him for. Uh, what would, by, by today's standards, be seen as trespasses. He'll be 78. He would be 78 when he took the oath of office. Uh, I, um, is that a problem? Donald Trump would be 74 when he begins his next Yeah, I term. mean, I think his his presidential run would be somewhat contingent on Donald Trump being on the ballot, right? I mean, he's even sort of hinted at that. So, uh, you know, I think if, if it's Pence on the ballot, somebody who's a generation younger than, than Biden... I think that's a tough road to hoe. I mean, but also Bernie Sanders, who, who I think most people think is leaning more toward running than against it, um, and certainly is behaving like a presidential candidate, uh, is also in that age range, um, and you know, frankly, seems to have more energy than Biden does. Uh, and that's partially that's a personal style thing. I mean, Bernie's, yeah, Bernie's right. got sparks flying from his fingertips, you know, when he falls asleep or whatever. And and Biden's, you know, a little more reserved, a little more, you know, sort of traditional senatorial, I guess. Um, yeah, we'll see what. Uh, and if you add to that Elizabeth Warren, who's a little younger, a little younger. but not all that younger. I mean, the Democrats have gone an entire generation, with the exception of Barack Obama, gone an entire generation without like restoring any sort of younger leadership. I mean, their candidates and their candidate in 2000 was Al Gore, who was eight years removed from being like one of the kids on the bus with Bill Clinton. Right. He was a young guy in in 1992. By 2000, he was, you know, starting to move into middle age. And then John Kerry, you know, from the Vietnam era, this baby boomer era. And then you get the the Obama blip. And then you go to Hillary Clinton in 2016 as your nominee. And you're looking at Bernie Sanders, Joe Biden, Elizabeth Warren in 2020. I mean. This is not a party that has figured out how to uh, how to help candidates who are more in the Barack Obama generation uh, yeah. move up. Right. That's been my biggest takeaway from this whole moment that we're in with the Democrats is it's like there is no new blood that like on a national level. I mean, I know we talk a lot about uh, Kamala Harris or Cory Booker, but I think at this point they're not front runners they're not the big marquee names that we do talk about bernie or or joe biden or or elizabeth warren like the big names are 70 plus i think the question is whether someone can grab that mantle you know sort of look i i look at it this way and people will disagree with me (laughs) wholeheartedly (laughs) but i look at going into 2020 for the democrats the main factor that most Democrats in Washington don't want to talk about is that Bernie Sanders 
won 46% of the delegates or whatever it was last time, and has continued to build his movement. Uh, and that whether or not Bernie Sanders wins uh, the 2020 Democratic nomination, he has won the aftermath of the 2016 election. Uh, because what you have seen is all of the other Democratic wannabe candidates uh, basically copying what Bernie Sanders is doing on the floor. They're copying his rhetoric. They are signing up with the Medicare for All plan. Uh, he has won what he wanted to win, which is to swing the debate in the Democratic Party significantly to the left. Uh, and that is a to force the to progressive be agenda, the centerpiece of the Democratic Party. That's he right. has. I mean, that's where he, you know, from reading my book. That's the first conversation he and I had. That was his goal in the beginning. Not so much to become the nominee, although he... He changed his, his he, target as he, as he as reality swept him toward it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. But but he certainly has succeeded. He didn't become the nominee, but he succeeded in his main mission, which was to get these ideas talked about and, and, and to get the Democratic Party, as he felt, back to its roots. And look, I mean, you see, uh, you see glimmers of it uh, in the political spectrum these days. If you look at what's going on with candidates who are endorsing unions right now, I mean, when was the last time you heard a Democratic candidate in anywhere but a very specific set of districts in the country talk about talk about being with unions? Connor Lamb uh, in Western Pennsylvania, of course, you want to be with unions there, but like he basically was able to get the unions together, got him back, and brought him back, split, yes, yeah, uh, and they yes. unified behind him. Whether right. it was the right. you know the the service workers or you know the the teamsters. coal miners yeah, or the right. team, yeah. No. Um, and so, you know, I think you've seen a fundamental shift there in what the conversation is within the Democratic Party and the willingness to embrace sort of traditional progressive values. That's a force to be reckoned with if you are uh, a new Democrat, centrist, DLC-type, Clintonite, right? Oh. Nobody's talking about those folks uh, anymore. Yeah. It's hard to find one that's... And, and, and if you are one of those, you and I both know what we're talking about with DLC Democrats, you're going to have a challenge in the primary from a Bernie bro or Bernie for sure. sister, whatever the name would be. Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. There's, so the energy is all there. Um, and whether or not Bernie, you know, is, is Bernie Sanders the Moses that like walks the progressive movement uh, to the edge of of Canaan or whatever, and then but and then can't. dies, right? Like, uh, not dies, but like you know, he's yeah, not right. he's not doesn't, allowed to take them, take into, them the, into the promised into land. The promised right. land, or is he the person who actually walks them into the promised land? Um, and you know, I think that remains to be seen. But I, but fundamentally, the 2020 debate centers around the set of issues that Bernie Sanders wanted to talk about last time. So uh, Donald Trump goes to Mar-a-Lago today. He's going to spend the rest of the week in. Mar-a-Lago, I guess this is his spring break, um, another spring break because he was down there at Easter time too. Um, is that going to just kind of – is he just sort of leaving the territory open for James Comey to dominate the news this week? <laughs> or do you think he's going to be able to make enough news from Mar-a-Lago to drown out Comey? I mean, I don't think Comey's going to be drowned out, but I, you know, I think the president has a choice. Does he want to go toe-to-toe with – James Comey this week, which he's able to do from Twitter or, you know, I mean, he can command attention. He's the president of the United States. Um, but he has a decision to make. Is it better for him to go toe-to-toe with Comey or, or leave the stage open to Comey and then maybe whack Comey when, when things quiet down a little bit? Uh, I might, I might, if I were advising him, well, I wouldn't give advice to the president, but I do think that there is an upside to um, not going toe-to-toe with somebody who is a Boy Scout. Not to say that Jim Comey 
doesn't have problems right. or hasn't right. done things right. wrong. But like right. he comes off as a Boy Scout. His whole thing and his his entire life has been about figuring out how to seize the high ground on other people. I mean, that's what prosecutors do. That's what FBI guys do. He's good at that. He's good at making it seem like he has the high ground. Totally. Yeah. Right. And you're right. He's got lots of problems with James Comey, as we discussed earlier in the program. Uh, he's by no means uh, a saint uh, or a choir boy or whatever. Uh, but, you know, when in the comparison with Donald Trump, this, just one thing before we take a break that I didn't know anything about, uh, learned about through the book and through the interview last night, that Comey is a teenager and this armed intruder breaks into his house and keeps him and his sister, the guy with a gun, keeps keeps them, holds them hostage in, in the house for, I, don't, for how, I forget how long, and I forget how they got out of it. But talk about a scary experience. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he came out of that with sort of a, certainly a respect for law and order, right? Yeah. And uh, he said profoundly moved, you can imagine, profoundly impact him and uh, kind of propelled him into law enforcement and, 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 and a career. He's also... A basically a theologian and a student of Reinhold Niebuhr, who was a great influence on me when I was studying. Well, it's interesting, and I, so, you know, a lot of politicians also, you know, yeah. are big Niebuhr. Yeah, but by, like progressive politicians are Niebuhr fans. Barack Obama was right, but Comey wrote his thesis on Reinhold Niebuhr, a moral man in immoral society in an immoral society. Which is basically what he seems to be saying he is. Right, yeah, exactly. Yes, right. I mean, and, I mean, Don, and Donald, Donald Trump is Trump, not. Donald Trump does not have a monopoly on narcissism. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. <laughs> As we stated earlier. Hey, uh, John Allen stays with us here as a friend of Bill. And uh, all of you, friends of Bill, stay tuned. We'll be right back with uh, Ellen Nelson from Vox joining us here at Roundtable on this Monday, April 16th. Download our podcast, search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes, and remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is The Bill Press Show. Morally unfit to be president of the United States, says James Comey of Donald Trump. Hello, everybody. Here we are on uh, Monday, April 16, The Bill Press Show, wrapping up here with a friend of Bill, John Allen, uh, from NBC News, in studio with us. And uh, we made a little room here at the table uh, to welcome uh, Ellen Nelson, who is a political reporter covering Democratic, uh, the Democratic side of the aisle, particularly for Vox. Ella, it's nice to see you. Thank thanks for, you. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. How's 2018 looking for you for the Democrats? Well, actually, there, so there's just a new poll out from ABC News, Washington Post, that is showing, uh, it's just one poll, um, but showing the Democratic lead shrinking. Um, so Democrats may have a little something to worry about, although... Shrinking down Certainly, to like what? It was about, so they polled registered voters, and um, the Democratic generic ballot advantage has been sort of fluctuating between like the whole spread has been between seven to eight points so far, which, you know, is is comfortable for Democrats. Um, this poll showed that spread narrowing to about four percent mm. um, when, you know, and, and again, just one poll, the overall spread is about six points still. So maybe a little signs of trouble, but the polls certainly fluctuate and will continue to do so between now and November. Yeah. Uh, are these generic polls uh, would you rather have Democrats or Republicans in control of Congress worth anything, John? I mean, you know, I think it's a broad measure of the popularity of the two parties. Um, you know, my experience and, and having watched this over the years is that de generally Democrats do have an advantage in 
uh, generic ballot testing. And if you get to a point where it's even, it usually means Republicans are about to pick up seats in Congress. Um, but I think it's harder to measure right now because there's such an enthusiasm gap uh, between Democratic voters and Republican voters. And I think that may be overstated by special elections. Um, a lot of people are going to know that the midterms are happening by the time they happen. So, And Republicans tend to turn out in midterm elections, maybe not as much during special elections. Uh, but I, I do think it's harder to read the generic ballot with the, the kind of enthusiasm gap that you have right now. And I also think that um, for the most part, the two parties aren't running generic candidates. Yes. Um, so, yeah. So, you know, no, no, I mean, the, the, yeah. it really is like, you know, I mean, as much as folks will, will want to nationalize issues and as much national issues will contribute to these elections, um, they are each individual, each individual house race is its own. Uh, its own laboratory and its own petri dish. But Ella, we have seen evidence of that uh, enthusiasm gap too, in terms of the number of candidates, oh, for uh, sure. the intensity of the candidates, if you will, and in some districts where, even some state legislative districts where Democrats haven't won, they've had such a better showing, you know, like than ever before. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's kind of like the number of candidates running are off the charts. The number of female candidates running, it's you know an incredible record. Um, I think this isn't the total number of female candidates running, but um, Emily's list, the the mm -hmm. female super PAC released numbers saying that they had been contacted just by women that were interested in running. It was like 34,000. And that's far beyond anything that they've ever seen. So people are certainly engaged. Donald Trump is kind of having this wave effect down to local and state races where people just say, you know, I need to get involved. I need to get engaged. I need to be more civically active in my community. They call that the Trump bump, uh, yes. which I love. Uh, to what extent, then, are these 2018 congressional elections going to be influenced by the decision of uh, Paul Ryan uh, not to run for re-election? Well, I mean, it's just another good sign for Democrats. Um, I mean, it's, it's cer certainly something that they can point to. I think it's Something that they can point to that uh, the GOP, much lauded GOP tax cuts, are something that maybe the GOP can't quite run on in 2018 as much as they would like. Um, because that was, you know, that's sort of the biggest <laughs> achievement that they can point to so far. Something that they've actually been able to get done, that and, uh, you know, a Supreme Court pick. Didn't work so well in yeah. uh, Pennsylvania 18, did it? No, definitely. You were up there. Definitely not. Yeah, I was up there. Definitely Both did. of you were. I, think. I was not in Pennsylvania, oh, but I was okay. covering. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, it did not work there. Uh, and look, I mean, Democrats had a great candidate in Connor Lamb. Uh, not perfect candidate, but like pretty solid candidate with a great resume uh, and ability to energize a lot of different people on the Democratic uh, spectrum. But, you know, back to Paul Ryan for a minute. Um, uh, it, it's interesting. He says he wants to spend more time with his family. <laughs> Um, and I think that's surely true that he would like to spend more time with his family. But part of the reason he would like to spend more time with his family must be that his job stinks and that what he sees in the aftermath of this next election is either a reduced House Republican majority dealing with President Trump and trying to get legislation passed that's never going to get passed, or a Democratic majority in which he has lost uh, not only the House, but possibly even his seat. Mm -hmm. So it's more like you're weighing the factors than it's one or the other. Like, you know, I definitely want to spend more time with my family, so I'm not going to be Speaker of the House, uh, versus uh, the relative value of spending time with his family has increased uh, compared to the job of Speaker of the House over time. Well, I was disappointed that he stepped down because I wanted to see Randy Bryce beat him. 
uh, iron stashes, yes, uh, right. has, as, as they call him. He's, he's been a guest in studio here. He's a iron worker. The iron workers are one of the sponsors of this program. So uh, what happens now to that seat? Well, so, I mean, yeah, Randy Bryce just got a bump from Paul Ryan leaving for sure, I think. Um, I mean, Republicans are going to scramble to find an alternative to run. Right now, there's Paul Nealon, who is the super conservative, like, anti-Semitic guy. (laughs) Yeah, he's not. He's Super conservative is like, uh, that's like a euphemism for him. Right. No, exactly. Yeah. Like, anti-Semite should be at the front of that. Um, Is is he a state legislator or just a? He's just a random. I'm not even sure where where he came from. But he ran against Ryan in 2016. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So he's running again. You know, Republicans are going to find somebody else to to put in there. It's not going to be Randy Bryce v. Paul Nealon. But um, He's the Stormfront candidate. With yeah. No, really? Oh, well, yeah. yeah, no, I mean. But the advantage that Randy Bryce has now is just a financial one because he has been fundraising millions. I mean, his campaign was just touting. It's it's like, I think he's up to 4.75 million, almost 5 million. So there's going to be a Republican primary. The Republicans are just going to have to spend more money in the primary now. Um, it is worth noting that Randy Bryce does have a, a challenger Kathy Myers, who mm-hmm. um, lives in Janesville, Paul Ryan's hometown. She's on the school board there. I interviewed her and Randy. You know, she is also, I think, a very solid candidate, but she just doesn't have the same, um, you know, kind of star power now that Randy does. Um, and, you know, he's just, you can just see it in the fundraising numbers. So I think that, you know, Republicans are kind of going to duke it out in the primary because, uh, you know, it could potentially be competitive. Um, and, and then he's just going to, you know, be able to be there waiting in the general election with this gigantic war chest. And the Democrats are very happy about that. Right. And the numbers, again, are um, Democrats need to pick up 23 minimum. Uh, and the net. Aver- net. Um, yeah, right. I, guess. I mean, because they could lose some seats. Right. Mm-hmm. My point. Exactly. Uh, I guess the reason I said minimum is they'd like to have more than 23. Um, 23. Nancy Pelosi would definitely like to have at least 29 or 30 because of the number of people who have already said they're not going to vote again. Yeah, right, right. Which, right. by the way, I think changes if uh, control of the House uh, were, to f- were to flip on it. I think some of these guys would vote against her on the first ballot and then vote for her on the second ballot and go home and say, oh, I told you I'd vote against her. I didn't t- say I'd do it twice. <laughs> so what are you saying? If Democrats uh, win the House, that she will not be the Speaker? No, I think that she will be the Speaker. I also think people who think that she won't be the Speaker... Uh, look, I mean, she could decide that she wants to leave. There's nothing in Nancy Pelosi's history that suggests that she would walk away from that job. Yeah. Uh, but she could decide even if they win. I think people forget just how powerful it is to win and heady it is to win an election and get swept from the m- minority into the majority. Um, and uh, if they were able to do that, it would prove to fellow Democrats that Nancy Pelosi isn't the thing preventing them from being in power and may in fact be the thing that gets them toward power, mm-hmm. like she was in 2006. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, Democrats have a complicated relationship with the idea of Nancy Pelosi because I think most of them, almost all of them, believe two things to be true. One, uh, that they owe her a lot and she's done incredible things and uh, should be honored for how smart and brilliant and great she was, and that she makes it harder for them to win elections. And they believe these in different measure. So some people believe it's all... You know, mm-hmm. almost all the former and a little bit of the latter. Some believe it's almost all the latter and a little bit of the former. But all of them seem to have both of those things in their head. You know, Ellie, one thing and may not have been the case, but it was uh, a lot of people believe that seeing Paul Ryan step down was really, in effect, throwing in the towel. Mm-hmm. The Republican Party is saying, 
we can't win the house and Paul Ryan saying we can't win the house. I'm just walking away. Right. Yeah. I mean, did you, so in terms of fundraising and energy deflating the whole Republican push for the house. Yeah, I mean it's it's not a good sign for it. I mean it it does it does sort of have an air of that. I mean, and and also just kind of like this the the Trump problem. It's kind of like this frustration with just having to constantly deal with Trump. And Trump is what is galvanizing Democratic voters. I mean, all of these races are ultimately you know like the Pennsylvania special election had a lot to do with local issues. And Connor Lamb was not out there talking about Trump a lot. I mean, a lot of these Democratic candidates are focused on local issues. They're not out there railing against Trump. But Trump is the thing that is is turning out Democrats and, and making Democrats want to be more civically engaged. And to the Paul Ryan thing, it's the thing that's making an already very difficult job for Paul Ryan like near impossible because Trump doesn't share his his vision for policy. Um, Trump is just a, a whirlwind, and it's just like having to to constantly babysit somebody. Um, so, and, and I don't think, and I don't know, going into the midterms, you know, Republicans going to have to answer for Trump. Some of them are going to be aligning themselves with Trump. Some of them are just going to distance themselves entirely. Every one of them is going to have to answer where, whether they stand with Trump, aren't they? Um, you know, I think Ella makes a really good point, and not to not to dodge your question. I mean, I yeah. think it depends on on where you are. Uh, geographically in the country. Um, Ella makes a really good point, which is uh, Connor Lambs of the world are not running against Donald Trump. They know the Democrats are going to show up to vote against Trump without them saying a word about Trump, and that the key for them is to win people who voted for Donald Trump in uh, in 2016 mm -hmm. and may think that it's good or even okay to put a check on him, even if they're going to vote for him again in 2020. And I think that's what you saw in Pennsylvania 18. I think you saw people who voted for Trump in 16 and will vote for him again in 20, saying it's okay to put a check on him. It's okay mm -hmm. to put somebody who's going to be responsible in office uh, for putting a check on him. And so that's a tightrope for these Democrats to, to walk, but uh, I think you're going to see a lot of them try to do it. Claire McCaskill, I was just in Missouri. She's running toward Trump, not away from him. Yeah. She's talking about the, the number of bills that she's had some effect on that he signed. Right, uh, she's not out there banging a drum about yeah, how she yeah. uh, voted against Neil Gorsuch. It's the other side that's trying to split her apart from Trump. I think right. it's going to be interesting to see kind of if her problem comes from her base rather than because she's clearly making a play for Trump voters. Um, and meanwhile, <laughs> there's been a lot of talk from especially like black urban communities that she's not showing up enough. People she needs to get her, her uh, backside. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> to some places is what one of uh, one uh, of the local uh, African American oh. leaders said. Yeah. Oh, is that right? Uh, yeah. yeah, recently. Right. And then, and then they had a, you know a come to Jesus phone call, and I guess she came to Jesus. Everybody's like you know happy now, but that's been an ongoing problem for her for her entire career. Is that you know you've basically got I think it's something around fifteen percent African American population in. Uh, Missouri, which is enough to heavily influence whether there's good Democratic turnout, but not necessarily enough to um, to overcome what the candidate, statewide candidate, is doing for the white community or the the attempts they make uh, to go into the more politically independent uh, parts of the state. Right. Uh, so I'm going to circle back to the uh, biggest story of the day, which comes out of the uh, ABC special last night and the interview with uh, James Comey. Uh, Peter, if we can, first of all, um, Comey talks about his first meeting with Donald Trump at Trump Tower and watching him 
and listening to him, he is reminded of what it was like when he was a young prosecutor in New York working with members of the mafia. I felt this effort to make us all, and maybe this wasn't their intention, but it's the way it felt to me, to make us all a Mica Nostra. We're all part of the messaging. We're all part of the effort. The boss is at the head of the table, and we're going to figure out together how to do this. He's comparing the president to a mob boss. Fair. Is that the way Trump operates, as far as well, we know? Well, Trump is, loyalty is king. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's an obvious comparison, but. Yeah, I mean, sitting around the table and it's all, the, basically he talks about loyalty oath that they all would take. Do you remember the, uh, the scene in The Untouchables with the, the baseball bat? Oh Al yeah, Capone yeah, talking about yeah. loyalty. <laughs> yeah, he just bashes in one of his guys' heads at the at the dinner table. It was probably at the time like a shockingly bloody graphic scene in a movie. Uh, you know, look, the president hasn't been convicted of any crimes, so I think you know calling him a mob boss is uh, is unfair. Uh, but I think that you know, in terms of that loyalty question, for sure, um, you know, I think Comey's in a place where he. Uh, could judge that he's dealt with mob bosses and he's dealt with President Trump and he's looked at their organizations and if he thinks that there's some sort of parallel, uh, you know, he's entitled yeah. to that opinion. But there he was. But let's be honest, crime I mean, so much as his style of yeah. dealing with his people and what he expects from them and demands from and them. Look, Comey's in a position to make again to offer his opinion on that to make his judgment on that. I, right. I just think you know sometimes these comparisons are a little little heavy handed. I mean, yeah, you know. Ain't no Sammy the Bull Gravano sitting at the table, you know? I mean, this is like, these are apples and oranges. Um, Okay, now, at this meeting, and the purpose of this meeting, he goes again to meet the president-elect for the very first time. He's the FBI director. He is there to tell him that they have heard that there might exist a tape that the Russians have, and we want to be sure you know about that. And he... Uh, yeah, <laughs> that tape. That tape. Can you do golden on radio? Can you represent a color? <laughs> uh, and uh, uh, so uh, Comey talks about the the president elect's reaction. I started to tell him about the allegation was that he had been involved with prostitutes in a hotel in Moscow in 2013 during a visit for the Miss Universe pageant, and that the Russians had. Uh, filmed the episode, and he interrupted very defensively and started talking about it. You know, do I look like a guy who needs hookers? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, Comey, if I could play this into Comey, uh, George Stephanopoulos asked him, so does this tape really exist? Honestly, never thought these words would come out of my mouth, but I don't <laughs> know whether the, the current president of the United States was with prostitutes peeing on each other in Moscow in 2013. It's possible, but I don't know. Whoa. <laughs> it is hard to believe. Radio that. silence. I know. It's, it's just hard to believe. I understand what Comey said that we're talking about uh, a future president of the United States with hookers in a hotel room, His, you know, peeing on each other. But Trump's uh, bodyguard, Keith Schiller, testified to the House Intelligence Committee that Donald Trump was offered five prostitutes uh, by the Russians on that trip uh, and then said he walked up to the room with Trump. Uh, and they were joking about it because Schiller says he turned down the prostitutes for Trump. And then Schiller leaves Trump at his door and then goes to his own room. And he says, you know, Trump never would have done that. It didn't happen. 
uh, but also that Schiller didn't spend the rest of the evening with Trump. So, uh, you know, I mean, you, you've got it like pretty darn close. Uh, and I'm not saying that the, the tape exists. If Jim Comey hasn't seen it, I sure haven't seen it. Uh, but the president's obsession with clearing his name on that particular issue seems to be the kind of thing that somebody is like worried that something like this exists. Even if he's worried that it's a doctor thing that it shows up, he's clearly worried that that it exists. Why would you obsess about it if it, you knew it didn't happen or you didn't think that somebody had been able to create you know, some sort of false record of it? And also, Ella, remember that the source of, of this tape, to our knowledge of it, is the famous Steele dossier. Yeah, Christopher Steele. Right. So if, if Comey is saying that that could have happened and could exist, it sort of says some of the other stuff in the Steele dossier may... Well, there, also was, be there true. was also that huge bombshell that the that McClatchy broke um, late. I think it was again on Friday. There was just so much news happening on Friday. But about um, Michael Cohen's trip to Prague, which was something that had been in the Steele dossier that was now, you know, that that Mueller's team is now investigating, which seemed to sort of verify that, you know, this part of the dossier could be true. That was something that, you know, kind of got overlooked in the whole like Comey media tour, you know, prostitutes peeing on the bed thing. But that's an even bigger. That, I if, I've, and if I'm not mistaken, the, the Prague thing uh, was the one thing that people pointed to as a place where uh, Steele must have gotten it wrong because Michael Cohen said he was never in Prague. Mm. Uh, if it turns out that that's right, if I'm not mistaken, all or very close to all of what we know about the Steele dossier has has checked out right like right. thing after yeah. thing after thing after thing has checked out doesn't mean everything in there's perfect doesn't mean right. there's a tape right. or whatever but it the, means the, that there's good reason for the FBI to listen to what uh Steele had to say right that's what that's where I was going with this right like the 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 tape whether or not it's real it it really doesn't matter honestly but the Prague thing looks like it was absolutely real and so now as you mentioned you can't really point to any. I mean, Christopher Steele himself even came out and said, "Is there a tape or isn't there a tape?" He says he's like fifty-fifty on the tape. He's even walked back the certainty of the tape, right? But everything else has checked out. So you have to treat it like it's real. If you're if you're a James Cohen and Prague uh, and what was Cohen doing in Prague? I think it was like another, and I could be getting this wrong, but it was. Um, it, I think it was like another meeting with Russians um, it, or mm -hmm. or some. You know, Eastern European. I'm, I'm not and, entirely sure. But. And again, this is Donald Trump's personal attorney. Personal attorney. I don't think he's yeah. had uh, any, any any other client for for quite a while. Uh, Peter, finally, um, talking about whether or not the president was mentally fit for the job, Comey said, "Absolutely. You know, he's 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 got his full brain power. He's intelligent. He knows what's going on." Mentally unfit or unfit is not the question. The question is, is he morally fit? Comey's conclusion. Our president must embody respect and adhere to the values that are at the core of this country, the most important being truth. This president is not able to do that. He is morally unfit to be president. That is about as strong language as you could possibly use, right, to, 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 against the president of the United States. It's also not a qualification for the presidency. Oh, right. right. Moral rectitude right. is not a qualification for the president. Yes. It's not even close. That is true. So Jim but Comey don't may you feel that expect, way. Don't you think the American people expect a, a president, rightfully so, to be 
morally fit for the job. I think American morality is. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to say at least outwardly moral. (laughs) I think American American (laughs) concept of morality is uh, is impossible to define because it's so all over the map. For some people, morality is uh, to say that women uh, have control over their own bodies. For some people, morality is to say that you would never uh, terminate a pregnancy under any circumstances. For some people, morality is defending your home with a gun. For other people, uh, morality is uh, making sure that children can't be slaughtered uh, through the sale of uh, of guns that have you know quick repeat action and, and lots of magazines. So we don't have an American morality right now. Uh, and what the choice was in the last election was, uh, I think, an existing concept of American institutions and our government as almost the highest morality, the highest ideal is the preservation of that. And I think it's what Jim Comey subscribes to. And I think it's what largely what 65 million Americans voted for. But 62 million Americans in the right places voted the other direction. But when you have a president who's now accused of having an affair with Stormy Daniels, an affair with Karen McDougal, um, maybe this P-tape and everything, I mean... I think the moral rectitude of the American people might be awakened by what Comey is saying. No, I mean, again, I sort of, I don't know, when it comes down to Trump's like own uh, own personal we'll affairs. I have, have to leave it at that. I'm sorry. Hey, thank you. Yes. Thank you, John Here's Allen. You. See you tomorrow. Show. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented... They'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.